everybody it's gonna be a fun one we're gonna get to open a can of worms today usually we don't talk too much about politics but joe biden put a tweet out he stepped into our world i can't wait to talk to rachel premack about it it's crazy though we see all like retail theft right you see retail theft madness happening uh society just completely falling apart well these are getting even more high tech and now your car is not safe in your own driveway. Look at this new method that these are using. I won't believe how these guys are stealing brand new vehicles in as little as 30 seconds. If you have a key fob, you're gonna wanna watch this. What you're seeing right now on the screen is exactly how they do it. The guy carrying around that weird antenna is performing something called a relay attack. So what is a relay attack? If you didn't know, your key fob is constantly emitting a signal looking for the car that it belongs to. Likewise, the car is also constantly looking for that key fob. So what the guy with the antenna is doing is trying to amplify the signal from the key fob that's in the house in order to trick the car into thinking that the key fob is much closer to the vehicle than it really is. You know how you can just keep your key fob in your pocket, walk up to your car, open the door and start it? Well, that's exactly how this works, which means once they get in, no alarm goes off and the thieves can just drive away. Something you can do to protect yourself is keep your keys in a metal tin so it can block any signals from reaching it and stuff like this won't happen to you. Thanks for watching and follow me to keep up with tech. New item, what the truck Faraday cages for your car keys so they didn't get stolen by thieves with antennas. It's crazy. Someone in your driveway. That's not the cable guy. Look out for him. Uh, Mr. Grinch says they learn these things from tow truck and repo companies who post their trade hacks on YouTube. Maybe some trade secrets should remain that way. Thank you to High Tech Jav, by the way, for posting this video and sending it over. Robert Bowie says, I thought they worked for the cable company and working on improving my signal. Uh, not this time, Robert. Um, by the way, before we get into things, shout out to my youngest. He broke his, uh, he broke his wrist over Thanksgiving. He just got his new cast on today. They let him pick his own color. He went red and black like the uh, what the truck colors up here. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He didn't complain at all, was a total trooper. And with his new cast, a little smaller than the last one, and he's psyched because he said he can still hold a video game controller. So he's back. We're back. Let's get into it. On today's episode of What the Truck, I'm joined by FreightWave's Rachel Premack to talk about the role Biden played in the current freight market. The president recently tweeted that his policies have caused a 25-year low in rates. Makes our ears perk up in this world, doesn't it? The National Motor Freight Traffic Association has recently appointed Leslie Valestra Killingsworth as its first ever female chairwoman of the board of directors. We'll find out how she achieved the honor and what lessons she has for other female leaders and other leaders to be in logistics. And hey, she's uh, the director of pricing over at Polaris. So maybe we'll get into a little pricing too. Seeing what they're, I believe they're up in Canada. So maybe that's LTL in Canada she does. We'll find out. We got Stride Motivations, Nick, uh, Killings, Kling, Klingen Smith, sorry, it's a little close to my last guest name, talks about self-sabotage and mental health issues in brokerage sales. He'll share his story about his four-time battle with cancer, um, overcoming alcoholism, a journey that I've been on myself, overcoming diabetes, how he's run over 97 different uh, like tough mutters. He's done the Boston Marathon. I think he did the London Marathon too. He wrote a book about it. He's a best-selling author on Amazon. He used to work in a brokerage too, and that's where some of his problems started, I believe over at Blue Gray. So we'll get into uh, that entire story. It might be a little similar to my own. FreightWave's Justin Martin divulges the secrets behind Operation Santa. He's going to discuss Amazon's rise to dominance in a parcel. 
Are truckers cheaters? Does a CDL mean treating, uh, cheating and protecting Christmas trees from cats and more? Uh, DC Christmas tree goes down, high-speed house chases, high-speed forklift chases, the perfect stocking stuffer, and way more on today's show. So let's tip the band and we'll get on to it. Truck it is revolutionizing the trucking brokerage industry. Trucks it increases carrier pay while reducing shipping costs. Trucks it pays carriers in two days or less. Trucks it provides paperless BOL, POD, and payment. Ship for less, drive for more with trucksit.com. All right. It's Rachel Premack. What is up, Rachel? She's our editorial director hey. here at Freightways. How you doing? Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. How you Just, doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm like getting another story up, but uh, I think we'll have to wait till after the show to get that published. Yeah, well, I've heard about that. We'll get into We'll touch on that a little bit later. We'll tease that it's coming up. It's about uh, the Polish-Ukraine truckers. Or, or there's a strike and there's a retaliatory strike. And we'll, we'll figure out a little bit what's going on there. But before we do that, we got to talk about this tweet from President Biden. Take a look at this. He says, because of my economic plan, our supply chains are the strongest on record <laughs> with backlogs, bottlenecks, and shipping rates at a 25-year low. That might sound great if you know nothing about supply chain. If you're um, in our world, that has meant bloodbath and bankruptcies. I mean, no, he's un- he's not wrong. He's, he's wrong, unfortunately. I mean— the the reason why there is no longer like just, let's just start with the shipping bottleneck the reason there's no longer a shipping bottleneck is because there is no longer a record amount of freight coming into US ports you know we no longer have a situation where people are sitting at home with stimulus checks buying a bunch of stuff online most of which is manufactured and overseas and imported to the US i mean he, he it didn't it doesn't matter what happened it didn't matter what any plans would have been the bottleneck would have uh would have cleared up so it has nothing to do with his economic plan i do think on one hand on the other hand it is good that we're seeing a president finally talk about supply chain i certainly can't remember the last time anyone was ever talking about supply chain in the white house and kind of making this part of the national policy um but that tweet is um it's a bit it's a bit wrong. And by a bit wrong, I mean very wrong. Well, I don't know. See, I, I'm not going to argue with him. I, you know, I will, I'll agree with him a little bit. I think some of his policies have caused a freight recession in the sense that high interest rates, money's no longer free, the venture capital market's dried up. When you look at the consumer, the consumer gets beat to death every time they go to Publix and they get their inflation report, which is their grocery receipt. But also, like, not only do we not have the stimulus pouring into the economy like we did during the lockdowns, so not, not, we don't have the revenge spending, we don't have shippers who realize that they're just in uh, time inventory got depleted, so they had to do a big race to stock warehouses back up and that whole inflow. But also, like, if you remember 2020, 2020, it was free money. Even if you were just like a retail trader, you could go and get some Dogecoin. You could go and get like any number of different SPACs that came online. If you were smart and quick about it, there were a lot of retail traders that were just making free money. It was easy to get money a couple years ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, like there is no longer just like an insane amount of money flowing around and a desire to buy a bunch of stuff. Now people who if if you're lucky enough to still have a bunch of money around, uh, you're probably buying uh, airline tickets or, you know, going out to eat. I mean, the 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 fact that the um, the fact that the goods economy has slowed down so much that, I mean, kind of going back a little bit, it's an interesting way to frame it because he's saying that uh, because of his economic policy, uh, these backlogs and these rates have greatly decreased. It's a it's kind of like flipping it on its head. I remember, um, you know, in 2008, growing up in Detroit, 
during the recession, traffic was way down because people had left the area. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people were out of work. So the rush hour wasn't quite as hectic as it used to be. But I don't know if saying like traffic is down, there's no there's no more traffic. Like that's not really a that's not really a win. It's a nice outcome, but it's a convenient outcome. But I kind of just feel like, um, I don't know, it's an interesting way to frame it. That's for sure. I mean, it's always like <laughs> there's no more supply and demand market than freight. It's all an equation of available capacity and volume in those two meeting. And then that drives the market. Let's start close to home. Here's trucking rates. Here's what trucking rates have done. I can't go back 25 years here, but let's go through the pandemic and beforehand. And uh, I don't have 25 years, but he's right. I mean, at $1.74, this is excluding fuel in trucking spot rates. We certainly are below peak season in a year on this chart of where we should be right now. Um, it's a massive drop off obviously i don't think anybody thought that 2021 was sustainable but the like we've been telling everybody that rate cliff that happened in 2022 was going to be brutal and that's an, an operating environment that the people he's sending that message to they're getting killed in that and that is not um a great thing to hear from a president the other thing he tweeted you mentioned the backlog he goes on thanksgiving two years ago 100 container ships were waiting to dock at u.s ports this year there were less than 10 so his family started their holiday shopping shelves are stocked and that's no accident it comes down to supply chain And he's right. It does come down to supply chains. In fact, Joe, there's another crisis going on you may not be aware of. In the Panama Canal, it is so backed up and so reliable right now that ships are being sent around it. Fortune actually says the Panama Canal Authority, which normally handles about 36 ships a day, announced on October 30th that it will gradually reduce the number of vessels to 18 a day by February 1st to conserve water heading into the dry season. Panama had the driest October on record due to a drought caused by the El Nino weather phenomenon the authority said. So there is an issue going on. It's over at the Panama Canal um, right now. But why aren't there a ton of ships over there? Let's look at the goods imported. It's changed drastically. Uh, Disruptor put this chart out right here. And if you look, all these pandemic buying things that created so much that inflow, like bicycles, footwear, um, apparel, musical instruments, toys, TV monitors, furniture, computers, hats, apparel, smartphones, they're all down. They're all down big. Knitted and not knitted apparel, according to that chart. Yes. Well, <laughs> look, when you classify when you classify freight, that that becomes a big issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's it's um. I think you laid it out pretty well. I don't think like the supply chains have been fixed in any ways. I think to go ahead and say like, oh, you know, we've fixed it. I also feel like there's a level at which, you know, do we need to expand U.S. ports so much so that they receive all these imported goods? I'm not really sure if that's a reasonable way to spend money or resources either. It does seem like the White House at this point is trying to shift some of its economic and domestic supply chain policies to strengthen the U.S. supply chain and build manufacturing back here. One of the uh, policies that it seems that the White House is chasing down is uh, enabling investment in domestic manufacturing of medical goods. That seems like something that could be a good, a good, um, you know, kind of way around this. I think just generally, the more that we focused on building our own domestic supply chain and trying to increase our de- decrease our reliance on foreign goods, which, as we learned the past few years, can get very that that sort of access can get can easily get disrupted. I think that's probably the where Biden should be focusing his energies and efforts at this point. 
I mean, what the ocean steamship lines are dealing with right now, uh, here's a chart on rates on them. But here is uh, Mercio Vincent Clerk. He says, if Q4 is not delivering some type of improvement, I think we're looking at a pretty dire situation in 2024. Greg Miller reported the global composite of Drury's World Container Index fell by 6% in the week ending Thursday versus the prior week to 1,384 per 40-foot container. The global composite has given back all the gains since the beginning of Q4. It is now down 1% versus October 1st. So you talk to any, and, and I wonder, they took, because Biden, this was all, this all started Monday because of their new supply chain council, right? The new supply chain council, mm-hmm. the White House started, they put out this big fact sheet. But I got to ask, did they talk to any of the figureheads at these companies? Like, who is this tweet framed for? Yeah. It's definitely not us in the shipping industry. No, I mean, you could, you one could make the argument as, oh, all of those ocean carriers, they're based overseas. They're not U.S. companies. You know, we don't care about them because that was one sort of argument you heard during the supply chain crisis of, oh, all of these uh, overseas ocean carriers are are making all this money. Um, you know, where is the U.S. kind of capturing some of the wins from this? Uh, but yeah, I mean, we knew we knew that with such an amazing, uh, you know, run up in 2020 and 21 and early 22, that the come down would be just as bad. And especially on ocean carriers, that's just the way it always is. It's massive booms. People overbuild supply and or people overbuild uh, capacity. And then you have a massive bust at the same time that all this capacity is entering the market. Trucking is the same, maybe not quite as sharp because, you know, a truck is not quite as doesn't doesn't have the same sort of capacity as a twenty to two thousand TU ocean liner, uh, but I feel like like all of these booms and bust cycles, it's pretty common in supply chain. I guess the question is, how much do we need or want the federal government getting involved? On one hand, you know things do generally operate and things do arrive on shelves, et cetera, on time during normal times. But it does seem a little strange that there is how little oversight perhaps there is from the federal government on this part of the economy that is the reason why we have, you know, water and desks and food and clothes and so on. Yeah, sure. Well, trucking runs the nation. So let's take a look at seasonality and volumes over here. Let's see if there has been any recovery. Daniel Pickett put this chart out yesterday. You can find all these types of charts in Sonar. And what you're seeing on here is we're well below the the big run-up in 2021 and 2020, um, but we're slightly above where we were at at 2022. 2022, very bad year, especially coming to this. We, we, every, we knew things were dire. We've been in this situation for a long time, but we're slightly above it. Daniel Pickett, he said, uh, we are far from declaring the hard times are over, but the week leading to Turkey Day and the weekend after are seeing year-over-year growth in total volumes. Total power units also continue to decline. Now, I think the reason so many of us took umbrage with Biden has to say is because we know that a balanced freight market is kind of where you want to be. When rates are super low, it's only because volumes are not doing well. These companies aren't selling a lot of goods. So, yeah, sure, I save money on my shipping. That's great. But it comes at a cost of its own. Yeah, I mean, these things are all interconnected. If ship, if ocean carrier rates are down, it's not like, you know, everyone else is having a great time, is having a party. There's a reason why those rates are down, even though we know it's all cyclical and even though these booms and bust cycles are pretty well dependably dependably going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, celebrating too much the fact that rates are down does seem a, a bit odd, especially especially because I feel like there's always this conversation around, you know, how much is it, how much can the president really in the White House really affect 
the current economic situation. I feel like it changes depending on which party you're in and who's in control. Perhaps if you're uh, if you are a Republican right now, you'd say, oh, yeah, the president ha- can control everything with the economy. If you're more left leaning, you might say, oh, no, the president has nothing to do with it. But, you know, let's well, say a Republican president but, comes into power and Rachel, the economy is doing well or doing good. It, I feel like Rachel, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. This was Biden himself who claimed the I know. Recession. So it's a weird thing. It's this a weird isn't thing like a random GOP account on Twitter. This is literally the president of the United States account that is That's claiming not, this the recession. This makes it very strange. Too. <laughs> like, like the whole thing is strange. It's wrong and it's strange and it's like. What? Like, it's very, I feel like what he was arguing is like, oh, the ports are now more efficient. And that's not, that's what kind of what he was implying is that like, oh, now the ports are carrying more stuff. And it's like, there's just less stuff to carry. It's not because of any sort of plan that made the ports, you know, suddenly so much different. Well, nobody can afford a house to put all that furniture in right now, Rachel. Here's what community had to say. Craig Fuller, our CEO and founder, he said shipping rates, bottlenecks, and backlogs have collapsed due to one of the worst freight recessions in history. After all, freight is a commodity. I suspect Biden is unaware of this. The industry is experiencing a bloodbath. We'll get to some of those bankruptcies in just a minute here. Brandon Pass says, uh, laugh my ass off. Well, how does that work? Ed Burns says, I'm from the government and here to help. Run, people, run. Tim Nolan says, wow, talk about tone deaf. These are all supply chain people because this is my network I was talking do ted beck says this administration sat by and let shipping rates triple and refused cargo in favor of empty cans which clogged the supply chain and now claims credit for smoothing out the supply chain that is smooth because we are in a recession yep that's binomics bill paul says someone needs to tell him that there won't be backlogs bottlenecks and higher rates when imports from asia have fallen off a cliff dennis chilton said need a community notes response on this one and charles bates says the collapse of several freight companies due to inflation high fuel prices and lower vc investment makes the supply chain stronger good to know maybe we can make the federal government stronger by purging headcount as well as departments and reduce funding of politicians several lines people people were really angry they got really fed up with that yeah. particular tweet what have some what are you recently put an article on some of the bankruptcies catch us up because we're talking about a year where we had the biggest trucking bankruptcy in history with yellow big ltl carrier not entirely pandemic related but in a sense it is it cost the taxpayer seven hundred dollars during the pandemic to try and keep this failing dead company alive and the only one that seems to benefit is Estes, who bought their terminals, not the American taxpayer. I don't know. Maybe we'll see some payback from that. I'm not even sure. Um, also, Convoy, the biggest VC-backed company, collapsed. One of the biggest venture-backed company collapses in history. And they had to get they saved uh, by Flexport, picked up their technology. Rachel, who else has gone under during this time? Yeah, so one of the other big freight brokers we've seen gone under is uh, Surge Transportation. There's also been some other smaller freight brokerages that have gone under. A lot of these, like, there are quite a few freight brokerages, you know, throughout the country. It's not all dominated by TQL and and CH Robinson, as as viewers, of course, know. So we've definitely seen some freight brokerages based in places like Oklahoma and uh, in California. But... In general, it's just a really challenging time. And again, it goes back to that boom and bust cycle, you know, in 2021, in 2020, in 2021, there was a lot of uh, demand for for freight capacity. Freight brokers hired a ton of people. Obviously, going into this current recession, you just don't need as many people and you lay them off. It's a really, you know, unfortunate cycle that we're in. And it's a really unfortunate, like, way that the industry works, but that seems to be the, the the way it works as of now. Um, so typically, freight brokerages can kind of ride out res- uh, freight recessions. But this time around, we're actually seeing 
some brokerages not just lay people off, but in fact declare bankruptcy or just shut down. This wasn't even the biggest drama in D.C. this week. Here's how it started. Chuck Grassley tweets, Christmas at the Capitol. Did you know Tim Dean, a trucker from Griswold, Iowa, Griswold, that's a very Christmas name, delivered the 63-foot Norway spruce from West Virginia to our nation's capital? Thanks, Tim. You did a great job. It looks great standing up, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I actually got a press release about this uh before chuck tweeted it so he said did you know and i said yes i i I did know uh but yeah it was it was moved by a team driver team drivers uh over at warner enterprises uh they moved it from the mahangalaya national forest in west virginia to dc uh which actually i'm not really sure why they needed a team driver to go from west virginia to dc but i it's a big hey I, i it's a lot of treats. I, 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 who's to say? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun tradition. Well, here's the thing. Here's how it, here's how it's going. There's a strong wind through there, and it blew this damn tree over. Take a look oh. at this. Yeah, the entire tree got knocked over yesterday. They had to pick it back up with crane. The wind blew it by. Apparently, they had to cut the tree early. Oh no! Some kind of fungal issue going on in that forest too. So it's been like a very challenging. This tree has had to overcome a lot. This is. I didn't realize, because I've been following this tree for the last 24 hours, but I didn't realize this most recent. It keeps, this tree keeps coming up. Like, I keep, tree keeps like, up. everywhere I go, I hear in something else about this tree or the people who drove it. I mean, I'm so confused why there are two drivers. They're coming from West Virginia to D.C., but whatever. It's all good. <laughs> all right, well, in 60 seconds or less, what's going on with this pr- protest, the Polish, pr- Polish-Ukraine protest? Okay, so after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, EU lifted its restrictions on Ukrainian drivers uh, coming into the EU. Uh, Polish truck drivers say that Ukrainian carriers are undercutting their rates, and they have blocked now four major border crossings between Poland and Ukraine to protest and uh, draw attention on changing these policies. So the Polish truck drivers were, were protesting on the Polish side, and now the Ukraine truck drivers went over to the Polish side, and now they're protesting too. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of vitriol, I guess you could say, on both sides because people are worried about you know their ability to to make ends sure. meet. So it's a it's it's a challenging situation. And on, Ukra- on the Ukraine side, they're also concerned about uh, humanitarian goods not being able to make it through. Yeah. And then the Polish structure, I mean, this is a long sustained war. They're concerned about feeding their own families in, in their own country that yeah. they have to worry about, too. Tough situation. I, I hope they all figure it yeah, out, Rachel. Um, go check out the article, FreightWaves.com. Just Google Rachel Premack FreightWaves. That's how I find it every time. That's the quickest way. Or find her on Twitter at RRPRE. Rachel, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. This is Sergeant Crane with Excelsior Police Department. So we chased this truck down the road. He was going about 30 mile an hour. He was hauling his big old house. Looks like he's going to live in it. He was traveling all the really way. Thought he might have been drunk. We came up on him. We chased him real fast down the road. Uh, one of my officers didn't uh, didn't spike strip him fast enough, and we chased him. He went off the roadway and he jacked up his truck, jacked up the trailer. <laughs> Not going to make it. And then uh, we took him to jail, like the seltzer does. Woo wee. <laughs> Did he just say who we? That, that guy right there, he's just trying to get home. Aaron Wooden says home prices and mortgage rates continue to increase at a pace out of reach for everyday consumers as well as law enforcement. Hey, nice one, Aaron. Good stuff. Um, 
Nick, <laughs> Nick Klingensmith, best-selling author at Strive Motivation. Nick, you, you never did anything like that on a crazy night, had you? You know, uh, I can't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> may have happened in one of my blackouts, too. I don't know. I know. There was an incident with a golf cart when I was in college. Okay, there was a time I'm at a parallel parked under my neighbor's porch, under their beams, and there might have been a couple of inches on either side. It took me about over 45 minutes to get it out from under, so I don't know how I got in. Wow. Well, hey, Nick, people who don't know you, man, in- introduce yourself. Who is Nick? All right. I am uh, Nick Klingensmith. I am a four-time cancer survivor. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've got seven herniated discs. I've got nerve damage, sleep apnea, uh, apparently some attitude problems. And I am also an obstacle course racer and ultra endurance athlete. I've spent almost 20 years in the logistics industry uh, in sales on the 3PL side, and now I am pursuing my speaking and coaching career. You are. You wrote a book recently. I think I have the cover and the listing on Amazon here, um, Through the Fire. Really, really cool uh, little thing. Tell us a little bit about uh, the book, and then we'll go backwards through your journey. All right. Awesome. So, you know, I actually, I didn't write the book with the idea of it being published. I just started writing it for me. There's a lot of personal history in there. A lot of the things that I went through, you know, including like personal loss, my mom, my sister, of course, some childhood stuff, etc. And as I was writing the book, as I was going through this journey of obstacle course racing and overcoming my personal adversity, that's when I really started to see the lessons and really just the the transformation that I was going through and things that I could carry on into my personal life. So I originally wrote the book for me. It was like therapy. And when I decided to publish it, it was because I decided there was a message in there to help others who were going through personal challenges, whether it be illness, physical challenges, going through addiction and recovery. I just knew there was a message in there, a positive message that I wanted the right person to be able to find it and hear it. I think that's so cool. You know, um, one of the reasons I've always been public about my journey, the reason I did a TED Talk about my struggle as a recovering alcoholic is uh, someone else doing something similar is what empowered me to go get help myself. And I realized that the best way to take control of this thing is to name it and to own it and to allow other people to also know about that journey. It keeps you accountable and um, it keeps you moving forward. And like you said, it's therapy. Like starting Mm -hmm. podcasting for me, was therapy. And we're going to get into some of this, but I have a nice little motivational video that you posted on LinkedIn just the other day about the holidays. Let's take a listen. Right here. If you're someone like me and you're someone in recovery, especially this time of year, it's really important that you have someone to talk to. I know the holidays can be a trigger for a lot of people. And for me, sight, sound, smell, taste, something might put me back into a familiar place. That's a dangerous place for me to be. And I know post pandemic with a lot of people working from home, a lot of people are more isolated and they don't have the ability to just drop by somebody else's desk. Like people used to come by my office and sort of share their alcohol experience or ask me about mine. So if you don't have, you know, a coworker, a friend, or just someone that you can reach out to, well, hit me in the DM, tell me your story, because you are not alone, and you can get through today. Let's go. Live inspired. Nick, there's, there's always a point where we either hit the bottom or we die, right? At what point did you hit the bottom and realize that this isn't the way, this isn't the road, I have to take control? July 12th, 2014. <laughs> it was around 5.30 in the morning. Um... I was supposed to be one of the one of the speakers at our conference. I was working for Blue Grace Logistics at the time. 
And the night before the conference, I got drunk and I got thrown out of the hotel and I had to fly home. And before I did, my my girlfriend at the time, we were both, we had to go look for a new hotel because we weren't allowed to stay there anymore. And it was probably about six in the morning when I finally hit the pillow and I was at the lowest of my low. I remember I, I, I said out loud, I don't want to live this way anymore. And I flew home and I immediately started my sobriety journey. And if I hadn't, there was no question in my mind that I would have drank until I died. Wow. Did you, so did you go and like seek help immediately? Did you go right into rehab or like what did, how did you take, what was your next step after that moment? So, you know, one of the things that was a little bit challenging for me is I wasn't an all the time drinker. I didn't drink every day and I didn't get drunk every time I did. And bad things didn't happen every time I got drunk. You know, there was a lot of ways for me to continue to lie to myself and say that it wasn't such a problem and just really just kind of delay that, delay that inevitable. And I think that's why it was so important that my, my last drunk was so public. There was no way for me to hide the fact that I wasn't on stage the next day that I was home. You know, there was nowhere for me to hide and say, oh, I'm just sick or everybody knew what happened and everybody I knew knew that I was a drunk. And this was one of the best things that could have happened to me because I, I had to face it and I really did have to make a decision. And the decision was live or die. So I'm very fortunate because my parents, my dad has got 40 years of recovery. So I knew exactly what I was going to do. When I landed, uh, that was on July 12th. I flew back to Tampa on July 13th. And on July 14th, I went and picked up my white ship and decided I would never look back. And the irony of that is that's actually my father's anniversary date as well. We share that day. So I really had a good role model in recovery because I got to see him living his best life without ever having picked up a drink. Interesting. So did you get a lot of support? Because I've been to rehab twice. And the first time I went was in 2009. And um, I, I kind of I didn't want to admit I was an alcoholic. I just want to prove to myself that I could control it. So if I could go 90 days, then I was cool. And obviously, it just ratcheted back up. But when I went, I was with FedEx Trade Networks, and they did an incredible job of putting me in their program, you know, keeping it keeping it private. Uh, I did have to go for like drug tests every month and everything like that and had to pee in a cup and blow into a breathalyzer. But they they really took care of me during that time. And I'll always really appreciate that. The second time I didn't have to worry about it, I was already fired from the job when I went into rehab. So it didn't matter as much what those people thought. But I was wondering, you did were you able to get support from your company? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, the CEO and I are, were very good friends and he was very good to me. And I don't know where everybody stood. I'm sure there was a meeting about me. And I am sure that there were a number of people who were probably advocating to let me go, which I, I'm not offended by that. You know, that it was up to them to look out for the best interests of the company. But uh, I didn't lose my job. I was able to continue. They supported my growth and sobriety. They supported my, my schedule of going to meetings. And I'm very lucky in that sense, because, you know, we talk about hitting bottom. But I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my home. I didn't lose my girlfriend. I almost lost what I had of self-respect or, you know, really just the ability to look myself in the mirror anymore. And I think that's also part of the reason why I really attacked my recovery with such a passion is I was immediately grateful for the people in my life that did not abandon me when, quite honestly, I had already given up on myself. Oh, man, man. 
you know, you you mentioned in you, in another video, I, I don't have it to play, but you said you've done like 97 Tough Mudders now. You've done Boston Marathons and all stuff. How did the physical side, was this something you did before you got into recovery or did you add this as part of your recovery, the, the whole physical element? You know, so uh, yes, I do a lot of Spartan races. That's I do a lot of obstacle course and endurance racing and marathons. And I talk a lot about Spartan because that's the ones I do the most of. And in Spartan race, they talk a lot about mind, body, and spirit. It's not just a physical thing. And I got sober in July of 2014. Um, I was first introduced to Spartan race in September of 2016 when my boss at the time uh, walked into my office and said, hey, let's do a race together. And I'm like, no, no, hell no. That just seems like the most uncomfortable thing I could ever possibly do. You know, an eight to 10 mile trail race with obstacles, no way. And so I went home that night and that's when I had realized I already was that uncomfortable. I was two years sober. I had just been promoted. I had a great team working for me, thoroughly enjoyed my job. I was dating a girl that's my now wife. Like everything was going for me in my life. And yet I felt this void. And so I signed up for the race and I made that commitment. And literally the most uncomfortable thing I think I had ever done in my life at that point was set the alarm for 5 a.m. to train the next day. And that was what was life-changing for me because it, it ended up filling that void of mind, body, and spirit. It helped tie it all together. So, you know, my sobriety journey is separate, but really getting into the endurance racing, it's, it's helped kind of fill that void and tie it all together for me. You know what's interesting? When I did my TED Talk and really put this out there and, and had been sort of vocal and public about it, I did get a, a lot of like alcoholics reached out to me. But what also reached out to me, a lot of people who their family had been touched by it. You know, they they have a brother who was an alcoholic and, and died in a car accident or their mother was or their father was or or someone in their family or their child is. So, you know, they, they all have these sort of issues. It's such a shared thing. And I think one thing that if you want to give a message to sort of reps out there is don't necessarily be afraid to tell your company about these things. If you really have a problem, there's someone in there, there's leaders in there that are suffering that same issue. If not, they themselves, someone in their family. It's not that hard to find empathetic ear. I don't think it's the stigma that some people think it is. I, I absolutely agree. There's a big difference between the person who doesn't show up on Mondays during football season and is sluggish on Tuesdays and is dipping out early on Fridays. And they're not telling anybody why they're behaving this way and why their work is suffering and why their attitude sucks. There's a big difference between that and the person who says, you know what, Dooner, I'm having a problem and I need your help. And, you know, that was actually the point of my video. The one that you just shared is that back working in an office with three, 400 people, they all knew when I was a drunk. So they knew I got sober and a lot of people would seek me out, whether it be to tell me about their own story or kind of ask for some advice or to or share about a family member. And I think in this environment with so many people working remotely, they don't have access to that anymore. They don't have the same level of approachable visibility. So, you know, I do think that it's more commonplace. And also I feel that leaders these days are able to get more engaged. They don't necessarily have to play by this kind of strict set of rules, if that makes sense to you. It absolutely does make sense to me. So what tips would you have for people who are suffering right now? Maybe they are, or maybe someone in their family, or maybe even a friend is. How, what would your tip be to approach this issue? Number one is face it. I mean, don't be afraid of it. For me, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I was an alcoholic for a very long time. It was just a matter of- You know what? When I'll, I was... tell you, I'll tell you a secret. People around you know it too. Yeah, absolutely. Like- a lot of people are the last to know, right? Because we tell ourselves these lies. I mean, I used to tell myself so many different things as to why, oh no, I'm just drinking a lot because of this, or I'm staying out late because of that. And 
you know, all those things do is just kind of block me from, from sobriety. So number one is you have to just, just be willing to accept that things are changing. You know, for 20 years, I drank like a superhero. I could out drink almost anybody without having issue. But after a while, those good nights began to outnumber the bad, you know, and I, again, I was very lucky because I saw this happening in such rapid succession that I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people get to see that. I think they hide in the subtlety. So <clears throat> don't be afraid to face it. And most importantly, do not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Um, that's why I put that video out there. I have strangers hit me up and I want them to. Not that I'm like some great alcohol counselor or something like that, but I'm an ear and people don't have to be alone. And especially when they're isolated working from home right now, if they don't know where to turn, they're going to turn to the bottle and it's not going to get better with age. Yeah, it's tough. You know, work from home, work from home sales uh, got me into some trouble because, you know, you wake up and there's that hair of the dog. You know, you know, you're 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 not making your numbers. You're sitting there. It's a self-fulfilling, destructive cycle. And it's really hard to pull yourself out of it until you name it, until you make yourself accountable. Did, have you had anyone like reach out? You don't have to name names, but like, have you heard a story or has something touched you since you've put your message out there? Absolutely. And that's why I continue to do it and get increasingly more vulnerable with a lot of the messages that I'm putting out, because I realize that the more open I am, the more that other people are able to be open in return. And, you know, a big premise of sobriety is that if I help other people stay sober, it helps me stay sober. So I, I love it when people reach out. Um, I want them to know that there are people who can help them. How about the, uh, uh, before I let you go, where, first of all, where do people find the book? What is the name of it? Through the Fire. It is available on Amazon or Kindle. Um, and if you wait till the last two weeks of the month, it's possible it'll be free for download. Um, but we'll see about that. And I am on, I'm everywhere on social at Stride Motivation. And of course, my name on LinkedIn, Nick Klingensmith. Th th hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your journey. And I hope it helps some people out this holiday season. Dude, thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. We'll have you back soon. Take care, buddy. You too. All right. Truxit is revolutionizing the trucking brokerage industry. Truxit increases carrier pay while reducing shipping costs. Truxit based carriers in two days or less. Truxit reduces deadhead and empty miles. Truxit provides paperless BOL, POD, and payment. Ship for less. Drive for more with Truxit.com. Elsewhere. That's just beautiful. Frightening, but beautiful. It's falling snow. Hitting the power line. It's almost that frosty here in Chattanooga this morning. It's like a bug zapper. All right, I could listen to that all night, but I don't have time. So let's drop it off and let's get to Leslie uh, Velstra Killingsworth. She's the chairman of the board of directors at National Motor Freight Traffic Association. But it's an historic moment because she's the first female member of that board. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. And a little cowbell for you. Congratulations on the big accomplishment. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was kind of, I didn't, we didn't really realize that I'd be the first woman at first. And then when it came out, I was like, oh, well, that's just add a bonus. So we'll take it. So how, like, how did you achieve the accomplishment and what does this mean? Well, I have been um, part of the NMFTA for 12 years now, um, joined um, way back in the day and have been kind of working through the committees, um, working through the, the different groups that we have and joined the actual, was elected onto the board four years ago. And from there, I was just selected as the chairman for the 2024. 
And uh, it's been a really great experience, you know, just working with all the different carriers throughout the years and um, making it to this, this point has been pretty great. So what do you hope to bring to the board? What does one do in that seat that you now have? And, and what can your unique perspective bring, especially a female's perspective to a traditionally all male board? You know, um, what we do as, as the chairman, we work with the staff at the NMFTA. We work, I work directly with the executive director, Debbie Sparks. And um, really, we're, it's seeing the inside of how the association is run and trying to help. Really, what we're focusing on is broadening our membership, getting more um, engagement with other carriers and shippers and brokers. And so from this perspective, getting to be, be able to talk to the shippers, talk to other carriers, trying to get them um, to see a little bit more of what we can do, what the NMFTA um, can do to help, you know, because really uh, the NMFTA, it, since its inception in 1950, we've been basically the standards keeping for the industry itself, for the shipping industry, primarily LTL, right? We've got um, the SCAT code. We monitor the SCAT code, which is our standard carrier Alford standard. And um, we handle the classification. We're working on um, simplifying classification right now. So we're involved in trying to help make the industry better as a whole. And um, coming on as a woman, I guess it's just a good opportunity to kind of see the, another perspective. Um, obviously, it's a male-dominated industry that we have. And um, just being able to kind of see um, the other side of, you know, women coming through and um, you know, having the same perspective, but on my side is the pricing side, right? And so um, I can see where, you know, maybe men might be a little bit more aggressive in some ways, but we can see how we can be um, slightly more passive, but help with other ways in pricing or standards keeping or classification or what have you. Interesting. Well, what would you say to other female leaders who are aspiring for board positions or just to get up the ladder in, again, what is traditionally a male-dominated field? You've, you've run ahead of the pack. Oh, man. I, you know, I would just say, you know, um, make your voice heard. You know, our industry is becoming way more open to, um, you know, different diversity and equality. And so, you know, just putting, being, putting yourself at the table, making sure your voice is heard, making sure to um, keep keep pushing on those projects that maybe other projects might be pushed on because something else, you know, I, I just say, uh, be your own advocate. Interesting. Now, I got to ask you, because you're also a pricing director over at Polaris. Are we going to be happy with the, are LTL carriers going to be happy with the pricing they see going into 2024? Um, are LTL carriers going to be happy about the LT the pricing, you know? Um, well, I think you've talked a lot about where, where, uh, capacity is banned, where the economy is going. I think that we're trying to work on our, our pricing and yes, we need to bump it up because right now inflation's so high and we're just trying to keep up fuels up obviously. So, um, pricing is, we're trying to manage, right? Because we know that the shipper ultimately has to, you know, pay the pay for that. And we're trying to make sure that we make it as easy as possible. But unfortunately, we all are reaching, we all see costs right now and on a daily basis. And so uh, right now it's trying to mitigate those costs. Maybe I think what a lot of carriers are doing is evaluating where to take the increases, right? We're not necessarily maybe not across the board, maybe in certain regions, maybe in certain areas, maybe in certain different types of the industry. We've got LTL, full truckload, um, intermodal, different, different. obviously, uh, industries are going to take different increases in different areas. 
You know, it's been a few months since Yellow went under. That was, you know, a June, July story of them going under. But that's a huge name taken off the board in LTL. Um, are you seeing all that? Has all that freight gotten uh, absorbed and redistributed? And is LTL kind of like, have you recovered from that loss? Yeah, you know, and uh, not only were they huge, obviously, within domestically within the U.S., but obviously cross-border as well. I think they had 2,500 shipments um, a day cross-border. So we, uh, there were a lot of Canadian carriers that took on some of that. I know that there were a lot of U.S. carriers that maybe got bombarded and weren't anticipating kind of that influx in freight. And so I think by now, shippers have kind of figured out what worked best for them, right? So they went to some big names that they knew, and then maybe they had to kind of try somebody else, more regional carriers, which is kind of an opportunity for those regional carriers and smaller carriers to get an opportunity to get their name out there. Um, and I think that the problem was that shippers were used to a certain price standpoint when, um, when Yellow went not all carriers were willing to um, meet those price points. So that was definitely a, 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 a way and balance between shippers and carriers trying to figure out where that freight was going to go. You know, it is, it's interesting how, how you, you phrased that there, because I, I do remember when they were going, I mean, obviously you don't want a bunch of people to lose jobs, but there were some carriers that were like, you know what, they do, they, they set the market very low. So it was nice not to necessarily have that much down pressure from such a big fleet putting on the market. So I think overall, I mean, bad for yellow, but LTL's big. LTL, you guys can absorb it. You know what you're doing over there. You've got that great board over the FTA now, and uh, you got you over in Canada helping with that pricing. Well, it was awesome to meet you. How do people reach out to you after? this though if they like what they heard they want to talk more well um at the nmfta obviously we have nmfta.org um they can find us on instagram on nmfta news we're on twitter um i am also on um, linkedin as well leslie veldstra killingsworth so um you know any any if anyone has any questions if there's any carrier small or large that's interested in getting involved with the nmfta and trying to see you know if they can help create those standards and in our committees um, please reach out to me because we really are interested in in getting everybody involved because the more carriers and shippers that we can reach out to and work to collaborate, the better it'll be for our industry. Well, Leslie, congratulations on the appointment, the historic appointment. Have a happy holidays and thank you so much for stopping by What the Truck today. Thank you very much. Wait a minute. You didn't ask me about my Christmas tree, by the way. Oh, yeah. Real or fake? Real, of course. Yes, 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 finally. Everyone said fake last episode. I knew Canada would come through, though. That's right, that's right. We, we got you. Well, Leslie, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy that real Christmas tree. I'm actually going to pick mine up for the set right after work today. Awesome, I can't wait to see it. Cool, thank you very much. And if you guys have an ornament, send it my way. I'll put it right on that tree. Will do, will do. Thank you. Take it easy. All right, speaking of Christmas trees on cars, right to strap work. At least he's got a, um, he does have a rack up there. Corb says once he hits 120 with the tree backwards, all the needles are coming off, but glad to see he has a nice blanket protecting the roof. Yeah, me too. Me, per uh, Parker Cheney says, per se, I wouldn't do that in a Ferrari, but might use his Range Rover. Evan White says, at least it's real. Yes, I agree with you, Evan. All right, it's Super Trucker, Justin Martin. There it is. There it is. Yeah, nice. What's going nice on? I wouldn't lay down the flannel to protect that paint job. Do you ever just put your fake tree on the roof of your car and drive around the block just so you can feel like you actually went somewhere and did something with your life? 
No, I put mine in my trunk and we left it in there for about a week because we didn't want our cats to attack it. And it's sitting in our kitchen right now in the box and they're already swiping at it. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have some advice for that. Things. We'll have some advice about that in a little bit if we can get to it. So let's get to some topics here. The first one is Amazon has overtaken FedEx and UPS as the uh, the top delivery business. Retail Wire says Amazon has emerged as America's number one delivery business. Not only has the e-commerce powerhouse surpassed both UPS and FedEx, but is continuously widening the gap, becoming the go-to choice for parcel delivery carriers in the United States. However, the USPS still holds the title uh, for the biggest parcel source by volume. They do have all that junk mail like hundreds of millions of packages. Plus, I mean, USPS also touches all of Amazon, UPS, and FedEx's uh, delivery for a lot of final mile. Anyway, I remember sitting at the pier in Boston in 2019, and Peter Tershwill from the JOC told a room full of people from, like, room full of 3PLs not to worry about Amazon because they're a technology company. (laughs) Should you be worried about Amazon? Uh, yeah, anyone that's been paying attention in this space for any number of years knows this is what Amazon does. They sit back and they wait and they look to see how everyone else does it. And they ask themselves, can we do it better? And they usually do. Uh, Amazon is also really good at killing off anything that's not succeeding. Um, unlike, unlike a lot of, um, projects that we had at, at USPS. You know, it's not just Parsley either. This this article in Retail Wire, they only touched on Parsley, but as we know from talking to the Amazon freight people at F3 and, and hearing some of their talks, they have rapidly scaled up the amount of trailers they have for their trucks. And I think it's up to like almost 80,000, they said. And maybe last year it was like 20,000. Yeah, Amazon's uh, head of freight, uh, Hannah, um, you know, the first live event I went to, she was bragging that it was 20,000 at the time. The second time I talked to her a year later, it was 30,000. And they just keep growing and growing. And then, like, when we saw them there, they were like, it's 50,000, but I think closer to 80,000. A couple of the reps were like, yeah, it's rap. And that's not even counting their massive, massive contractor network. Yeah, and that's why these contractors like using them is because they have the equipment to move. If you, got a, if you have a, tr- a truck and you want to put it to work, a lot of guys go to Amazon. What do you think is going to happen? So what happens when Amazon just totally takes out UPS and volume and totally takes out FedEx and UPS? Because here's what's interesting. While this is happening, Matt Silver put out a great tweet. He said, it's surprising seeing UPS and FedEx expanding surcharges in a slow season, especially as Amazon and a ton of tech-enabled regional players are actively working to disrupt the parcel industry. It's like they're sticking to an old playbook while the game is changing very rapidly around them. And it's not just them. This trend of leaning on financial levers over innovation seems all too common in the broader logistics and supply chain tech sectors. Instead of making yourself more efficient or making a better network or making something that customers want to go to, the answer often is let's throw a GRI on top of it. Yeah, Amazon doesn't have a unionized workforce like UPS does, and UPS workers just got their big contract, so you know they have to start paying for that new contract. Um, they have a much more flexible workforce, and they're putting it to really good use. What do you do? You think that if you are UPS or FedEx, how do you re-strategize here? Um, Like you said, they have to pay for high employee costs. They got to pay these unions. They don't have the same contractor networks that that Amazon has built out, where they can kind of undercut the market a little bit through that. What do they do here to stay competitive? That's a really great question. Uh, FedEx is is pretty much all contractors as well, so they they can renegotiate rates like that. But um, I really don't know what UPS is going to do. They just locked themselves into that big contract last year. Um, I guess the hope is you know hunker down until volumes increase. Other other than that, it's it's just a waiting game to see what Amazon does next. Freight Zippy says. 
most important mention in here is Amazon shipping. They are now the largest parcel carrier in America and are slowly becoming a common carrier for parcels. The rich UPS contract will mean little as Amazon picks apart UPS. Once again, the Teamsters Union helps to bring destruction to another great U.S. company. You know, Biden was cheering on that big UPS contract. Um, he was also cheering on the freight recession in 25-year low, so I'm not sure if he should be tweeting. But <laughs> either way, it's kind of, it does seem a little dire for some of these companies. Yeah, it, it's you know good for the workers for uh, negotiating a new contract, but they got to realize they're not the only player in this game. They have to stay competitive. So, you know, take take your wins while you can, but you got to realize there's going to be other companies out there taking your lunch. You know, I haven't seen Amazon do Operation Santa, although I'm surprised not. I, I think they would want all the data from kids' letters so they know what they could, should stock uh, <laughs> in stores. I could see them just like poaching all that data. But the USPS does, and you've been involved with it before. It's Operation Santa. It happens every year. They're always looking for volunteers. There's a website. It's the, the USPS Operation Santa site. You can see all these different letters from kids around. It's been around for 111 years. How does this work, though, Justin? Yeah. So when I started, I had no idea this was a thing. I just walked into work one day and I saw the sign up on the wall. So any kid out there that wants to write a letter to Santa Claus, they have a real address for him. It's Santa Claus, 123 Elf Road, North Pole, 88888. And it actually goes to a warehouse in Utah where it's sorted, scanned, and then any identifying personal information is is removed from it. Now, what they used to do back in the day was every local hub would have a volunteer station set up where local people or businesses could come in, volunteer, read the letters, and if they found one that matches what, what they can provide, you know, they, they can purchase gifts for these kids. They have a really great system now. It's just all online. Um, you go on to USPS's site, search Operation Santa, and you just, just like going through social media, you just scroll and scroll and scroll, and it's just a never-ending feed of letters from kids saying, Dear Santa Claus, I want, you know, XYZ for Christmas. And if it's something you can provide, you click Adopt the letter, and then you purchase the gifts, and then uh, USPS delivers it for you. So when you mail something to Santa Claus 123 Elf Road, North Pole, uh, 88888, that really is going to someplace in Salt Lake City, Utah, P.O. Box, is it not? It was then. I don't, I've don't. i been trying to get in touch with guys now. I don't see why it would have changed, but that's, that's usually where they, they keep it sorted right now. Let's see what some of these kids had to say. It says, Dear Santa, this year I would love the new PlayStation Plus games. All my brothers have... So, Santa, it's time for me to get one, too. I'm 12 years old. Zachary, so I don't know how many PS5s are in this house, but apparently all his brothers have PS5s, and he wants Santa to get him one. Now, this kid says, Dear Santa, I want a hoverboard and a bike and a PS5. I never had these games in my life. Thank you for everything you give us. Also, help my mom sell a lot of homes. Man, maybe these kids are hearing about parents who <laughs> are struggling. I remember when I was a kid, I would hear, uh, I don't have that kind of money. And I remember there was a Star Wars figure. I remember this. We were in the store called, uh, in Masters. We were in the store called Masters in Staten Island. I was like six. And she said, we don't, and they had these Return of the Jedi Star Wars figures. And it came with a coin. And my mom said, I don't have that kind of money. So I opened the, pa the package and I handed her the coin. And I'm like, well, this money worked. And she like grabbed me by the arm and took me out of the store and screamed at me. Um, now that I'm a parent, I understand a little bit more. <laughs> this, this kid, Vladimir, he says, I would like to take my wife. Oh, uh, this isn't a kid. These are even adults writing to say This guy says, I would like to take my wife on a mini getaway. We have four kids, five and under, and we haven't gone anywhere for three years. The past years have been tough on us financially. Been through many hardships and my wife's sickness. I know she'd be in tears if I could surprise her with something small like that. So even adults are writing in. Um, another kid here, Oscar, he says, This year I've been a good student. I've also been a good helper at home. I help with my my brothers. Uh, this year I would like a soccer ball, some size five Adidas shoes. Um, 
and he just wants a bunch of shoes. That's Oscar. And then Nathan, who is 12, he said his grades are better this year, and his brother and and his brothers are good 60% of the time. Um, I don't know. So his brothers are doing okay. <laughs> he said this year he's has been hard for his mom, though. A lot of kids in these messages saying it's been they've been struggling financially with car problems and medical bills. He wants a fast and furious 1970 Darge Charger Lego set and a light-up football. And Jason Taylor says, Hey Dooner, I think we need to make Nathan's Christmas. Many kids age 12 would want an PS5 or an Xbox. This young kid is asking for a $16 Lego car. I think we truckers can do better. Maybe we should answer some of these letters. Yeah, it's a great site. Um, a lot of kids, you know, they don't know what the value of money, so they're asking for these big items. But most of them are just asking for a small little thing. So anything you can provide, scroll through the letters and you'll find something. It's really, really cool. Okay, Justin, here it is, though. During the holidays, you can get lonely out there on the road. The road can be a lonely place. Let's let this lady tell us about it. And pay me enough money in the world to marry a man with a CDL license. Wow. I don't know how some of you ladies do it. He will cheat on you. It's not a matter of if he will cheat, it's a matter of when he will cheat. As long as he has a truck and he's able to get away and drive to different cities and states, he can have as many side chicks as he wants and no one, and I do mean no one, will ever find out about it. And he can sleep with the opposite sex and no one will find out about it. He can sleep with prostitutes, he can go to the strip clubs, and no one will ever find out about it. You're guaranteed to get an STD as his wife and bacterial wow. vaginosis. And the <laughs> day that he finally passes away and you have to plan his funeral, all his side chicks and his hidden babies are gonna come forward. That is, all, all right, so Justin, you're a truck driver, your wife married a someone with a CDL. Is, is this true, all truck drivers, like big time cheaters like this? I would, I would recommend, um, Put a ring on a local driver. Those guys are going to be too busy to ever have enough free time to, to cheat on you. <laughs> but is like, is that big at the truck stops? Because uh, I have some comments from the driver community, but I'm curious from you. I mean, have you? You've probably. I mean, everyone's known a player like or two. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what field you're in. There's always some guys who are going to run around. I mean, there's millions of truck drivers in the U.S. So any group of people that size, you're going to have some bad actors in it for sure. I drove, I, I told you earlier, I, I drove for a company. The guy gave me a company cell phone. The driver that was driving the trucks before me, he had, you know, a girl in like every area code. So that phone was blowing up the whole time I was driving. But, you know, again, I was too busy working to, you know, to, to get involved with any of that. Um, I'm sad to see that this lady was, you know, mistreated by whoever, you know, she was with before. But, you know, there's still plenty of good guys out there. You just got to. You know, got to got to put got to put the feelers out there. I know a lot of drivers and I follow a lot of drivers on social. They don't often post pictures of themselves at like strip clubs or anything. They're usually in some dingy ass rest stop. Mac Lovin says, ouch, I take it that she's had a bad experience to 99% of drivers I know are faithful. The 0.1% uh, through tough, tough lives are what the lady claims. Tricky Mix is absolutely false. How can you even sleep at night? Being that type of person, OC Pirate says, wait, this is a thing? I had no idea truck driving had these perks. Where do I sign up? I didn't realize that uh, that was going on there. Crackerbox Jimmy says, integrity is doing what you're supposed to do even when nobody's looking. Road life offers opportunities, but we all get to make choices and hopefully understand the repercussions to be dealt with as they come. Kendrick Teller says, people really believe truckers have all this time on their hands? Two dogs and a lady truck driver. She's got a female perspective. I've known faithful truckers and trucker wives. I've also known some very naughty ones. When I was single, I had a couple of encounters with another driver at my company. She said, uh, said he had no girlfriend. Turns out he had, um, as well as a disabled child back home. He had a wife and a disabled child back home. Mr. Yeah, I mean, that can happen did. anywhere, though. That can, yeah. I mean, that can happen anywhere. 
Mr. Grinch says the same goes for the wife that spends the money that her truck driver makes. The wife can run around while the driver's on the road. How does this not cut both the ways? Yeah, no, I drove team for uh, years, and some of the guys I drove with, you know, they're having all kinds of marital problems at home. You know, the, the wife is wondering when we're coming back, and, you know, we'd be out for four weeks at a time. So that's, that's a lot of time to be sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Oh, wait, well, Patrick, it says, uh, if my wife wants to track me, she needs to get a macro point account. <laughs> yeah or uh, check calls, check calls. and frack dog says the only thing truckers is the truckers are chasing is the clock and not everyone drives a sleeper cab so much hate although you know you can get creative in a day cab maybe uh, not a lot of room in those <laughs> not a lot of room D says uh an indictment of one is an indictment of all yeah i mean like look they, of yeah. course there are opportunities presented on the road of course there's truck drivers who cheat but i don't think it's anywhere like above the norm i would think traveling businessmen who spend the night at a nice hotel bar and have other people with who may not be attached or can get away with stuff i would say that they have much more opportunity and probably are presented with more opportunity than like your average truck driver yeah, no, it's it's all about the person that you're that you're you know re- going into the relationship with. You really got to know them first before um, you know you find all this stuff later. Yeah, that would be horrible. That'd be horrible. No, it'd be horrible too. If uh, your cats did this against your Christmas tree, let's take a look at this thing over here. Look at that. Uh, Is that before or after the cats? I can never tell. A fake. That was the after. Ugly. That's after. It's so hard <laughs> to tell either way. It's after. Of course, it's after. Look at it drooping around. Now we we spent a good afternoon with the nieces and my son putting it all together, and uh, within five days, the cats just had that thing completely destroyed. All right. Well, so you've probably tried some solutions. One was keep it in your trunk, but I have a video for you that has some suggestions for those of you with a cat. Curious. Let's take a look here. So this is our first year in 2021. Kind of like you, you put it up. You didn't realize oh, there's a the cat. Cat takes it out. So this yeah. next year, the guy hangs it from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> the cat. Yeah, at least ours never knocked it down. They just tried to climb into it and sit on it. They got into it. And now we put a. Have you considered the cage <laughs> and putting some like anti-cat signs like he has? I'll have to get the tools. Uh, I'll put that on the on the Christmas list this year. I'll get a table saw and some uh, some cage. <laughs> so my cats have like my cats never attacked the tree, but um, my my dog has like my lab has knocked it over once. And ever mm. since this was uh, my older lab, she just like ten or eleven years ago when she was a puppy. We always tie like a string to it, and we just we we anchor it to the wall, the real tree. We usually get pretty big trees too, and they're pretty heavy. But like you gotta put like an anchoring point on that. You gotta you gotta rate the strap work on your own tree. <laughs> yeah, and labs are big dogs, so if they got the zoomies. And they're running around, you know, any, anything's up for grabs. Yeah. Well, anything can be up for grabs in your stocking stuffer. You know, I'm not sure how Elon Musk has like $35 a month to pay me when you look at some of the advertisers <laughs> they have on their site. But they did finally play my favorite ad. Let's take a look at this right here. It's a dog for you audio listeners. <laughs> it's a dog's butt, uh, like a rubber dog's butt that you put on a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it, and out of the poop hole comes toothpaste for your toothbrush. And some people on, like, the comments under this guy panning Bundy said, this is sickening, not funny at all. Sean Hamilton said, someone avenged, uh, it was funny until my kid ran out of toothpaste and started chasing the family dog around. Otto Galepe says, this, is the pr- this product is the perfect metaphor for Twitter. David says, great, I'm buying one for my mother-in-law. And Bobby Murrow says, this is absolutely lewd and should be taken off the market. Should this be taken off the market? Absolutely not. That's the whole reason why it's on the market is for these kinds of reactions. We have young boys. I mean, like, you know, when you're looking for stocking oh, stuffers, yeah. you always need some random crap to throw in there. The only reason I wouldn't get this for my kids, though, is like I don't need the toothpaste to run through some like weird plastic from a Chinese fat, yeah. like some weird rubber. I bet it smells strange. Oh, and they're probably going to be wasting a lot more toothpaste, too, just for the novelty of it coming out. 
Yeah, well, this kid probably will be getting coal for Christmas. He's in juvenile detention right now. Justin, take a look at this forklift chase. I know I started out with a house chase earlier in the show. Take a look at this. This is a 12-year-old boy. He stole a construction vehicle, that forklift in Michigan, and he went on an hour-long chase. He hit 10 parked cars in the process. It was a Construction Genie GTH 636 Telehandler. I don't know if you're familiar with one of those. I personally haven't had a chance to use one. Yeah, they're great because they can go straight into the trailers. Uh, you don't even need a loading dock. Ooh, really? Can you do a lot of damage in one of those? Absolutely. They're pretty heavy because they have to be able to be staying on the ground while they're picking up, you know, a couple thousand pound pallet off the truck. Says he was going down Georgetown Boulevard at 15 to 20 miles per hour. They eventually got him to stop after his hooks hit all these different vehicles. They won't give his name out. I wouldn't give his name out anyway. He's a minor, but they th he's in Juvenile Hall now. He's got a spin. Did you ever go to Juvie when you were a kid? Absolutely not. I was always terrified of that. <laughs> did, did people like warn you like, oh, you're going to go to Juvie? Well, yeah, my parents were Air Force, too, so there was always that. Th you remember, yeah. like, in the 90s, there was all those movies where, like, bad kids were sent off to, like, military school? Yes. What yeah, there was, oh, there was, oh, and there was, like, ads in the back of Boy's Life and stuff, and, like, your parents would, like, yeah. circle it and be like, look, you get those grades up, you don't get suspended again, or you're going to, like, military academy. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that kid needs to be see, uh, forklift certified ASAP. Forklift certified. Hey, get him a, a toy forklift for Christmas, at least, or forklift simulator for his house lockdown he's going to be on well find justin at super trucker you can find this show at fw what the truck you can find me at timothy duner that's d-o-o-n-e-r you can find all these episodes on youtube on freightways youtube uh there's an entire what the truck playlist with all 658 of these damn things or on audio look us up on apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast take care don't be a stranger i gotta go get a treat